Well, hey, good morning. My name is Jared. I'm excited to be with you all. We are continuing in our conversation series. Caught myself there for a minute in our conversation series. And today we're talking about obedience. And obedience is one of those things that like you want everyone around you to be obedient. But like I don't want to have to be obedient myself. Okay, uh, I want all rules, limitations removed from me in my life. Uh, I have three boys. This is my wife that was singing right here. She's the talented one in the family. Um, and we have three boys together. And our five-year-old, we're teaching him like laws, things that are crimes, things that will get him thrown in jail. Um, and one of those things were like, he can see, you know, red lights and stop signs. And one of those things that he sees is like, okay, what do you do at a yellow? Sometimes dad speeds up, sometimes he stops. Like, what do you do? And one of the times we were going through and we saw somebody like speed up through a yellow and he goes, one of the ways that you could make somebody stop at a red light is if a wall came up whenever the, wall, when the light turned red. And I was like, that is a, an option. Um, but as someone who has run a red light before, I don't want to die when I make a mistake. Um, but obedience is one of those things that is really good for everybody else, but when it's on you, it's not ideal. It's not necessarily a cultural value for us. We don't like things that are limiting, that are constricting. Even the definition of the word freedom, which is a very American word, is the, the, the removal of constraints. Like, we don't want that in our lives. We want all freedom, but I want you to have some obedience to the laws when you're driving. I, I'm glad that the people who built this building had some obedience to code and law of, of gravity and things like that. We want some obedience, but not all of it. And when you think through obedience, you might have a, a place that you think about of like, okay, I am really compliant. I, I love rules. Tell me the rules so I can follow them. If you've got a new one that I can comply to, I'm in. Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum and you're saying like, listen, you tell me a rule and I will tell you how I will break it, okay? And maybe uh, that, that's just the way people are. But when we think about obedience, sometimes it's like it's not a fun thing to always think about. And, and sometimes when you think through obedience and we're at church and we're going to read the Bible, you think through like there are some laws called the Ten Commandments that I know I've messed up and I know I've failed at. So why would we put ourselves underneath the constraint of obedience to something? Why would somebody do that? Whether what side of the spectrum you live on, love rules, hate rules, you've probably been so free of rules at one point, that wasn't what gave you life. You may have been living life one time and you're following all the rules and everything's going right as far as the rules go, but that doesn't fulfill you. So what is it that's ultimately going to fulfill us when it comes to our obedience? Um, God is really sneaky. God is really good. He, he, this morning, I got up a little bit early, and I was in my office sitting there reading what I was going to talk on today. And I hear uh, my middle son, Jetson, three years old, wakes up, goes to the bathroom, and he kind of hears me. So he, he peeks in the door, and he's so sweet. He's wearing his pajamas. His hair's all messed up. He's got those sleepy eyes. And he comes in. He sits on my lap, and I'm telling him, oh, this is what I'm going to talk about. And I was like, this is so good. I'm going to Instagram this. This is going to be great. And uh, it took all of about five minutes. To, my wife left a little bit earlier than me this morning, so she was kind enough to take the boys with her so I could keep studying a little bit. And she came in and said, Jet, I need you to put some clothes on. She threw some clothes to him. And wouldn't you know it, all sweetness went out the window when some obedience was required of him. Like, it was a struggle. Like, the, the pants wouldn't fit, so he just wasn't going to wear pants. That's what he decided. Um, 
The shirt was a struggle, and then the, the, the shoes, there weren't socks, so we went and got socks, and then the socks were out of reach, and wouldn't you know it, I just can't go get them. That, like, his obedience sometimes turns into, like, ah, oh, my body's not working. That's a super fun story to tell. But um, that sweet moment was really sweet until I asked something of him, and then it got really ugly. And when you think through obedience, you're like, man, I like where I get to live until something's asked of me, and then I don't like it anymore. Obedience doesn't always feel very good, but it's what's best for us. But why would we bend our will? Why would we bend our obedience to something outside of us? Because so much of culture is going to tell us, hey, what's true for you is what's right. What your experience is is what you get to live, and I don't get to tell you that. And then you read the Bible and you go, okay, that's not necessarily the way to life. So we're going to be in Psalm 119 today, and when we read through Psalm 119, all of Psalm 119, it's one of the longest chapters in the Bible, and when you read it, there's so much good in it, but it's really a a, a whole chapter devoted to why we love God's word, why the author loves God's laws, his precepts, his plans, his statutes, his testimonies, his stories, why he loves the things of God. So I'm going to read Psalm 119, 33 through 40 for you here. It says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts in your righteousness that you gave me. Give me life. Verse 44, skip down. It says, I will keep your law continually forever and ever and shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts and I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. So today we talk through why would we bend our will, why would we bend our obedience towards God? And we see the first reason here in verse 37. If you want to look at that in verse 36 and 37, I'm going to read to you right now. It says, incline my heart to your testimonies not, and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Did you know that our eyes and our hearts don't naturally drift towards the things of God? I do not wake up in the morning and I'm naturally, man, I'm a little more generous than I was yesterday. This is nice. I I rarely wake up and just want to give things away. I rarely wake up and am just nicer and more Christ-like and more kind, more teachable, that's rarely it. What the author here is saying is that my eyes are having a bend towards not just things that aren't good for me, not just things that like aren't perfect, not aren't best, but things that are worthless. Things that don't fulfill me, things that don't give me life. We drift towards whatever our natural bend is. For you, that might be different than me. But we read it, this, this statement, this, this truth all over the Bible. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the, the son of the author who wrote this, 
He, he had riches beyond belief. He had power beyond understanding. I mean, he had so much that was going for him. And at the very beginning of the, the chapter, he said, I didn't decline myself to anything. He says, I, I allowed myself. If I wanted it, I had it. If I thought about it, I created it. It was in my mind, and I had it, experienced it. And then he doesn't say, so it's awesome. He says, it's all vanity. It's like chasing after the wind. I mean, he talks through everything, money, power, relationships, all of those things. And he ends it by saying it's all worthless. Then you see Jeremiah 2, verse 13. It talks about how Jeremiah is talking to the Israelite people who have run away from God. And Jeremiah is giving them this warning from God. And he says, you've committed two crimes against me. You've run away from me the source of life, and you've created for yourself, and he uses the analogy of water and things that should hold water, and he calls them cisterns, which were really just carved out rocks that were meant to hold rainwater. And he says they're broken, so they're leaking, and at best, they're stagnant. And he said, you've run from me, and you're chasing things that really just don't matter. And if we're all honest, we do that in some form or fashion. We chase after something and we think, man, this is going to be it. Once I get the item, once I get the relationship, once I get the house, once I get the pay raise, once I'm making over a certain amount, once I'm out of high school, once I'm out of college, once I get married, once, the, the list is endless until we're retired and we're dead. And we're left going, oh, it's the next thing. That the world is going to tell us, oh, it's the next thing. When you get to the next piece of life, that's when things really start to click, when things really start to make sense. But the author here says, it's worthless. And he says, give me life in your ways. Look at Romans 1, verse 21 through 23. It says, for although they knew God, talking about people that knew, understood the things of God, but they didn't honor him as God. They said, God, I appreciate some of the things that you've done for me, but you have your place over here and I'm gonna go get the stuff that I want. They didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things that we exchange what we believe is gonna give us life for something that was never meant, never intended to give us life. It's the first week of March, and some of you might think, man, what I got for Christmas, you can't even remember it. It doesn't even matter at this point. It's probably broken, it's probably in a closet, it's probably in a drawer, but at some point you were going, man, I really hope I get the fill in the blank. It doesn't matter anymore because we put our hope in some of those things and then we get them and it wasn't meant to hold the weight of our life. It wasn't meant to give us life. So he says, God, I need you to turn my eyes from worthless things and I want you to give me life in your ways. And then he says something similar in the verse before it, in verse 36. He says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. See, selfish gain is the natural thing. Everyone here, if they're just doing what they want, they are going to have selfish gain. They're going to have something that you didn't think about what I was going to have for lunch. Y'all are thinking about what you're going to have for lunch, right? That's selfish gain. And it's natural. It happens. But what the author here is saying is, I need God, I need you to incline my heart. 
bend it, change it. That word incline, in, in the Hebrew, what it talked about, it's saying incline, the stretching of, moving a tent around the tent poles. That tent, I don't know if you've ever put up a tent before, but that is not gonna put itself together. It's not just gonna pop out of the bag and go, oh, it inclined itself to pop up. No, you're gonna have to work at that thing. You're gonna have to incline it towards what you want it to be. So the author here is saying, God, I need you. I I can't do it on my own. Incline my heart to your testimonies, to your stories, to your goodness, and not to selfish gain. We have to understand that when it comes to obedience, our natural bending is gonna be towards away from it. We're gonna have the sphere of things that are easy to us. I mean, I can can take that little step of obedience. That's kinda nice, that feels good. And then there's gonna be things that are more inconvenient. There are gonna be things that cost us a little bit more. I think about those baptism stories that we got to hear, and I love that we get to hear their testimony and hear what God's done in their hearts and in their lives, and I think about people that I got to meet this week that said, if my family finds out that I'm gonna be baptized, that I've converted to the Christian faith, that I follow Jesus, they're they're not gonna be with me anymore. Some of our obedience are going to cost us things, and some of our obedience are easier than others. That doesn't mean we live in the comfort of the things that come easily to to us. It means we look at God's word and say, God, you know what's best for me. Incline my heart. Turn my eyes. We have to know that obedience isn't going to come naturally for us, but it's what's best for us. That's why we do groups. It's so good to see Sunday school classes and groups that meet all throughout the week and on Wednesday nights that, man, I need people that help me through the help of the Holy Spirit, go, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to be 50 years old and walk with Jesus. This is what it looks like to be 70 years old and walk with Jesus. This is what it looks like to have a new faith and walk with Jesus. But sometimes showing up, I don't want another thing to do, and I have to incline my heart. I need God to incline my heart. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than yours. I think sometimes we think we can tell God what we need best. And we will be obedient to God for what it takes to get us to heaven. God, you, I heard in a sermon once, it's the ABCs, you admit that you have a problem and you believe that he's Lord and you confess with your heart and that's where our obedience stops. And someone showed me the analogy of someone that, that we have a throne of our heart that that obedience is not just a one-time obedience. Okay, God, you can sit in the throne. Okay, now I've got some things I need to do, and I elbow Jesus off the throne. I elbow God off the throne. I go, now it's my time to rule for a little bit. Following Jesus is a daily stepping off the throne, saying, God, it's you. You are a good king, so I will listen to what you have to say to me. But several times throughout the day, I go, okay, God, I'd really like, and I elbow him off the throne again. And I think sometimes we can let our scrutiny of the Bible and go, okay, is, that, is it oppressive? Is it wrong? Is it un, unrealistic? Is it archaic? Is that, I don't know. And we scrutinize the Bible when in reality, 
This is the creator, this is the redeemer that will trust him to get us to heaven, but we won't trust him with our Tuesday afternoon. That I need to let God's word and his Holy Spirit scrutinize me. I want to read his word and go, I don't do that. Why? And whether I feel it or whether I don't, say, God, you know what's best for me, so I'm going to obey. And what's good about this is that it's not just God saying, you better get it. You better do it. God is not the bully kid in the sky with a magnifying glass that's waiting for you to make a mistake. Uh, He did it. Burn him. Obedience is rooted not in our ability, but the character and the authority of the one we obey. I'm going to read that again. Obedience is rooted not in our ability. Some people are better at obeying or making it seem like they obey than other people. Maybe that's just me. But it's rooted in the character, in the authority of the one we obey. Um, One of my first jobs was with a guy who owned his own business. And he's a believer. He went to my parents' church that I went to at the time. And um, awesome person. Awesome person. And I didn't know what I was doing at this job. He owned a photography studio. And I showed up, and I was carrying his bag and, uh, you know, filling out order forms for kids most of the time. uh, When he was taking pictures of little kids playing soccer and all kinds of different stuff. And school dances and all kinds of different fun stuff. And I I watched him operate his business and his life with integrity and honesty and character. And when he could have cut a corner and said, ah, I'm not going to tell that person that we messed it up, or I'm not going to tell that person that we overcharged, or I'm not, he always tried to do the right thing. And it made working for him so simple and clear because I knew that his intentions were pure and good. Now, he wasn't perfect, but he did his best to do things how he believed that God wanted him to do, and it made following him good. Now, y'all have probably had some bad bosses that make compliance and obedience difficult. But when our obedience is not predicated on our ability to follow, but the goodness of the one that we follow, it simplifies it for me. It centers it on God, not your ability to conform. And that's why when we read those first two verses in 36 and 37, it says, incline my heart, turn my eyes. Even in our obedience, God gives us more grace than we deserve. When he says, hey, you need to obey, he still helps us more than he should. And it's one of those situations that the more I learn about God, the more I'm like, yes, we need to do what he says. But he's just so good to us, more than we ever deserve. If obedience centers on God, then what is our response? Look at verse 33 and 34. The first verses that we read today, Psalm 119. He says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statues, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. The the idea here is not this limited, as long as it fits in my comfort zone, 
obedience. The idea here is, hey, I want to do it to the end. I want to follow you as long as you let me walk this earth. And I want to do it with my whole heart, with this depth, with this understanding that, God, if there's an area that you start scratching at and asking for and saying, hey, Jared, I really want you to give me this area of obedience, it's worth it to give to him. The author here is saying, I want my whole life, whether it's 20 years or 75 years or 100 years, I want my whole life to look like honoring God with what he's asked me to do. And not just a surface level way, but a full heart way of doing it. One of my favorite things about getting to be uh, working with young adults, college students and post-college students, is there's always young romance, okay? We've got some some people that have just been married, some people that are starting new relationships. It's always fun to just kind of look back and be like, I think he's hollering at her. This is kind of funny. I didn't know they knew each other, but now they're hanging out. They're going on dates. It's a funny, funny thing to just kind of see as a 30-year-old. Um, but one of the things that I don't think ever happens is I don't think that, you know, people have the DTR, the define the relationship. What are we? Are we just friends? What they don't have is a time that they say, hey, what are the rules here? I like you, you like me. What are the rules? Now, there should be boundaries, that's appropriate. But they don't say, hey, will you give me the list of rules of how to know you better and how to pursue you and how to have a relationship with you? One, that would be weird. And two, I don't think anybody has that there. There's an obedience that happens within relationship that obedience probably isn't even the right word. The right word is probably more towards devotion. We got to go, my wife and I got to go to a marriage retreat here at the church uh, this last weekend. It was just awesome. We loved being there. But one of the things that we, we loved hearing from pretty much everybody who was there is that like, you should learn to kind of be an expert in your spouse. And that when you started dating them, you didn't start like taking notes. You just like, you just showed up and tried to figure out like, what do they love? What do they like? What do they not like? Um, my wife and I started dating when we were in high school, and um, high school relationships are always funny, but my wife was always involved in music and always doing a lot of stuff, so um, I was not as involved in music, and she was involved in like her choir at school. And as a person who was interested in her, guess what I became interested in? Choirs at school. I showed up to choirs, choir concerts that they sang in Latin, and they sang in different languages, and I looked at the program and tried to figure out what uh, the translation meant, and I was always wrong, and I didn't know at all what they were talking about, and it, it didn't make any sense to me, but I sat there, and I listened, and I went, that was great. You sounded awesome. Todd goes, could you hear me? Like, I don't know. I honestly don't know. But I started inclining my heart towards the things that I knew she loved. When I had the opportunity to give her or her, some of her friends or her sister a ride home, I would see that, like, Okay, where are the places that she likes to eat? Where does she like to go? Oh, it's crazy. We're just passing by this place. Do you, do you want to stop in? Like, I don't know. I just drove by. It's crazy. We just stop in. You incline your heart towards not just the list of rules, but towards the things that they love. That we should develop a devotion, not just the set of rules around God, but the devotion about the things that he loves, the things that he cares about. That obedience is not this obliging, this obligatory, it's a joy. It's not abiding by the rules, it's abiding with a person. To be obedient is to know, to love, and to pursue God. 
That's what it looks like to be obedient. That's what it looks like to do what the author here is talking about. If obedience centers on God, our response is found at the heart of God. Not showing up going, okay, God, what am I allowed to do? Tell me what it is, and I will do it. That's not a relationship. See, some people would say that a relationship is draining, that a relationship is going to be limiting. Well, I don't get to do that anymore. Married man, old ball. There's all these old derogatory statements, but they're just not true. See, if you're in a loving relationship, you understand that to be in them is to be fully known and to still be fully loved. And that is a mystery the Bible talks about. And it's not a limiting thing, it's an uplifting thing. Tim Keller talks about this and he says that it's, that's when you feel the most yourself is that when there's someone who knows you and loves you deeply and you love each other. That's what this obedience is all about. Being known and fully loved. So what happens? What's the result of the author's obedience here? In Psalm 119, 44 through 46, he says this. He says, I will keep your law continually, forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. And I don't think I asked for him to put it up there, but verse 46 says, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. It's not limiting, it's uplifting. See, the person who wrote this, David, was probably, uh, he was a shepherd, and he probably had some times where he had to lead his sheep or, or, or move in some spaces that were difficult to get to, that were next to a river, that were next to a bluff, that you had to get through the eye of the valley to get through this difficult, narrow spot. So he would have understood this analogy very clearly to not say that, listen, to be in relationship with God is to be compressed, it is to be belittled, it is to have restrictions and limitations and constraints put on your heart and put on your life, and that's what it looks like to follow God. He would have understood that it's like being between a rock and a hard place, but he says, no. What does it say in verse 45? And I shall walk in a wide place. The NIV says, I will walk in freedom, for I have sought your precepts, which means plans. It is not a limiting thing. It is a freeing thing. Living the way that God wants us to does not close things. It opens things to us. Um, when, when my son Thatcher turned three, one of his birthday presents was we took him to the pet store and we got him, uh, he had been asking for a dog, and we were not on board with getting a dog quite yet. We were trying to keep children alive, so we were like, we need something a little less impact. We, we just need, so we went to the store, and we got a practice animal. We got a fish, and um, we, we pulled out, we got everything that he needed, the little pellets, the stuff that makes his water okay for him to be in, and the bowl, and all this stuff, and uh, we landed on the name Stanny. And Stanny lived in a couple different spots in our home. Um, and, and Stanny, you know, we'd feed him and we'd change his water and all this stuff. And sometimes we weren't great at it. We'd come back and do it. Guys, Stanny lived way longer than we thought he would, let me just say. Um, but Stanny was doing well. But there were times that our kids, um, Thatch was playing with a friend, and we came into where Stanny's bowl was, and it was wet all around it. And we were like, what in the world? Why? And so we, we came in and asked Thatcher and his friend, like, hey, why, why, is, the, why is it wet all around? He's like, oh, we were petting Stanny. 
And it was like, oh, well, that might kill him. Um, so fish probably don't like, we had to explain, you know, what fish like and what fish don't like, and you don't pet fish. Um, and then one day he asked me, hey, can we take Stanny out for a walk? And I said, we can one time. And after that, Stanny won't go in on any walks anymore. Um, he won't last that long. Um, but we, we learned a lot about his environment and about where he would thrive and where he would live. And this is the story of God with us. That God gives us not just laws, regulations, constrictions. God gives us a place that we can flourish and thrive if we stay within his relationship with him. This is the way that he designed. But a lot of times I think we want to take out of that and say, God, let me just live outside of that for a little bit and see how it works for me. And like a fish out of water, it's just not how God designed us to live. It's not the way that God designed you and I to live. So I think sometimes that we think we can operate outside of being obedient to God, doing what God's word tells us to do, and we go, God, why do I not feel like I have life right now? I think sometimes one of the best things that you can do is read God's word with a simplicity in mind and say, God, I want to read it, and I want to challenge myself to do that today. And I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit, that the Bible calls us a helper, will, will Show us how we can do it. Even the inconvenient ones, even the ones outside of my area of comfort. God, I want to do that. I want to listen. I want to be obedient. I want to follow you. But we think we can do that better than how God does it. But we have to understand that he's not just one part of it. God is the whole part. I want to read you. I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to read you Hebrews 12. Because Hebrews 12 is going to explain to us. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, the idea of obedience, I messed up so many times. I've done so much wrong. When you read through the Bible, I've done so many things that it says not to do. I, I, I hear this and it's just discouraging. I don't know that God could incline someone's heart and eyes like mine. And you read Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2, and it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, right hand of the throne of God looking to Jesus, when you're looking at a piece of obedience and you read something, I don't, God, I don't see how this makes worldly sense. And the Bible talks about how the things of God won't make worldly sense. And we go, God, I don't understand how this can happen. He says, look to Jesus. God, I don't think I can be obedient enough. Look to Jesus. He's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Yes, he went before us, but he didn't just go before us and say, hey, I hope it works out well. I hope you figure it out, and I hope life ends up good. I'll see you if you can make bad things go away in your life and make the good outweigh the bad. He said, I will go before you. I will redeem you. I will found your faith when you don't know how to have it, and I will perfect it. So you look at your obedience and you say, I don't think I can. Jesus did it for you. Where you couldn't, Jesus did. So we look to Jesus. When we see obedience that we can't do, we look to Jesus. When there's a hard conversation to have, we look to Jesus. When God is drawing us to something greater, when we go, God, I've never done this before, this is inconvenient, we look to Jesus. 
What's your faith rooted in? Is it rooted in something that you can conjure up yourself, that you can be real obedient, or is your faith rooted in looking at Jesus saying, God, I need you to incline my heart. I need you to turn my eyes. I need you to open up. It's you, God. Look to Jesus. Will you bow your heads?